Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. Rocket Mortgage are with you every step of the way. They provide a seamless buying experience when you need certainty in the home buying process with a loan that fits your life, folks. Rocket Can. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio, 855-2124-CBS, 855-2124-227. I might need to hold off what I wanted to say about Brady and Breeze because we got the top five coming up, and I, 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 I want to get the Rocky and Joe about the, the new emerging quarterback market. Folks, is some of them I'm really excited about. I feel like I've had a breakthrough. Probably haven't, but still. I got to get it off my chest about what I, what I said about pro football focus because you might need a, a, an explanation. We've had Sam Monson on a couple times. We've had a couple of people on from Pro Football Focus. And there's been times where I've been a little angry with Pro Football Focus, but it's not really them. It's really been the fans. I come from a city that has not been good in football and professional football in 20 years. And during times when you know what you see is bad, the argument has been, well, Pro Football Focus ranks this guy. Okay, that, that, that's their brain. It doesn't mean your team's any better. And the way I've looked at it is I think a lot of fans, and I don't think they're using this the right way, a lot of fans look at pro football focus the way we use Miss Cleo back in the day. Like, does anybody call, I want to ask you this, does anybody call the, the horoscopes or the fortune tellers, do they ever hear bad news when they used to call those people back in the day, Pierno? Did they ever hear bad news? Call me now. Exactly. Did 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 anybody tell you like, listen, man, it's about to get hairy for you. You better watch your ass. Like that never happened. If you called one of those hotlines, they were always going to tell you good things. And so that's what I thought that that that's the way I think that a lot of fans have used Pro Football Focus. Well, well, my team's terrible, but look over here. Look at this guy. Yeah. Oh, Pro Football Focus rated him this. It's like, well, yeah, he's okay. They're, they're, no team is devoid of completely devoid of talent. There's no team. Well, okay. 2017 Browns. There's no team that there's basically no team that's completely devoid of talent. Like there's going to be good players on every team. It's professional football. And so when you go, well, this guy here. What about that guy there? You guys got beat by 40. I'm not saying that that guy's bad. I'm saying the team as a whole is bad. And I think a lot of people have used the website, which is a fine tool, but a lot of people have used the website 
to make themselves feel better about their garbage situations. Garbage is garbage. But there's good players on garbage. I rip the Jets every chance I get. There's there's good players on the Jets. I got to go find them, but I'm sure there's good players on the Jets. There's good players on the Washington football team. That front four is pretty good. The Eagles look like garbage so far, but there are good players on the Philadelphia Eagles. I promise you that. There's good players on teams. Doesn't mean they're all bad, just means most of them are. And so I think maybe my angst in the past, I think this makes sense to you, Pierno, my angst in the past has been misdirected. It should be more towards the fans trying to put lipstick on the pig. Does that make sense to you? It does. Okay. Because Sam Monson's an agreeable person, a nice person. He is. And, and those guys over there at Pro Football Focus are nice people. They are. I got nothing against those guys. You shouldn't. Yeah. So, you know what? Good on them. Good on them. And thanks to Sam for coming on the show. It's good dude. And Thura. 855-2124-CBS. Jeff Perlman joins us in 40 minutes. Are you ready for the top five subject? Yeah, I am, Ken. What do we got? We lost a legend this week. Joe Laranitis, known to wrestling fans as Road Warrior Animal. He passed away at the age of 60, so we're doing top five favorite tag teams. Favorite or greatest? We'll just do favorite. Okay, because I think there's a difference for me there. There is a difference. There is a difference. I I believe we have similar tastes in wrestling style, so I'm afraid if we do greatest, then we might have uh, two exact... I like, so I'm trying to, by saying favorites, I'm trying to, hoping that we'll get some different ones in there from each other. The Ninja Turtles, will they be in there? Will they be in your favorite mix? The Ninja Turtles? You didn't see the Ninja Turtles? Go look it up. They appeared. They made an appearance once in WWF, in the old WWF. I do not remember that. Oh, boy, it was a sight to behold. And I was a, and I still am, a huge Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fan. Yeah, it was first off to get the to get in the costume had to be it looks like one of the greatest pains ever. You spend more time getting in there than you actually do spending time in the ring. What year was this? Do you remember? This was early I mean early nineties, maybe even late eighties. I see there's there if anybody's listening, at Tony Pierno on Twitter, send the clip, because there is a clip of them. Yep. They go out there and they have like a squash match and you can't see who they are. I mean it looks it they their actual their athleticism and everything doesn't look bad. They don't look like they're that bothered by everything. Like when you had, what, Mantar go out there once and they couldn't get him in the ring. (laughs) They're like, ah, they made the head just a little bit too big. Didn't realize that before they they set him out there. Um, They they actually look good. It's just, it's a stupid thing. It was a stupid gimmick. It was really dumb. Uh, So maybe maybe the Ding Dongs will be in there. Maybe they'll be on that list. I'm not sure. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. All right, 855-2124-CBS. That's very, very good. And I... I felt bad about that. You looked at that real quick, that era of professional wrestling. You had those guys in Hawk and Animal. You had Barry Darso and that – because Dark Side of the Ring highlighted this. There were like five guys, all with basically the same build, all muscle, just strong people, and all from what, North Minneapolis, north side of Minneapolis? During one time, that's incredible. Because people were – because when we talked about him when he died, because, you know, James Laronitis – his family lives in the area, and he's a son, and you know everything. And we were sad about that because you know James is a good guy and a good guest and a good Buckeye and all that stuff. And it was sad. I mean, his father passes away suddenly there, and and we feel bad for James, and we really do. Our hearts and prayers go out to James and his family during the time because Joe was beloved by a lot of people across the country. 
because he was one half of maybe the greatest tag team that ever lived. We'll talk about that coming up here in about 20 minutes. But to just see that type of athleticism, there were some people going, well, they're from Chicago. I went, no, the wrestlers themselves are from – oh, wait a minute. Okay, kayfabe. Sorry, brother. 855-2124-CBS. Coming up in 40 minutes, Jeff Perlman. Again, author of Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years with the Lakers Dynasty. I'm going to hold off for just a moment about what I wanted to say about Drew Brees and Tom Brady. I want to get to these phones because there's a new quarterback emerging. Mark, and I ask, are, are there guys, are there young guys – who you think could lose their jobs the earliest. I want to get to Rocky in Colorado. Rocky, you're next up on CBS Sports Radio. Thanks for your patience. Go ahead. Hey, man, big fan. I was just wanting to talk about the new age of breeding quarterbacks and how the similarities with my work. I work for the Department of Corrections, and we first developed a work release program and mentors, and you just can't release the guys out there. They come right back. And, um, you know, I had one guy ask me, um, you know, where the space bar is at on the computer, and I told them that's where the astronauts drink. You know, these guys, they try to pick up a cell phone and listen for a dial tone. You just can't throw the quarterbacks right in and on the frying pan, or they're not, they're going to fail, end up like Ryan Leaf selling freaking Saturns. You know what I mean? I don't know what you mean, Rocky. There's a lot of different things you said there, brother. There's a lot of different things. But I'm glad you got it in. Thank you very much for the call. 855-2124-CBS. Joe, Oregon, you're next up on CBS Sports Radio. Go. Hey, Ken. So I wanted to call and talk about Ryan Tannehill. Like, as a Dolphins fan, I'm glad he's having success in Tennessee because clearly things weren't working for him in Miami. But Joe Philbin was ready to dump him in 2014 and draft Derek Carr before Dennis Hickey, the GM, decided to veto that. They were going to draft him where they drafted Juwan James there late in the draft. So the organization was ready to do it, or at least the coach was, but the GM and the owner said no. So they drafted an offensive lineman that could maybe block for Ryan Tannehill and then went out and got Jarvis Landry in the second round to try and help him. But the consistent problem with Ryan Tannehill as a Dolphin was the same report year in and year out. When's he going to take the next step? Yeah. And it just became issue after issue. And even when he had weapons around him, still could never take the next step. Glad he's having success, but it just, like you're talking about, it just wasn't the right fit with Philbin and Dan Campbell. And he got lucky more or less with Adam Gase, but went down with uh, back-to-back injuries. So he wasn't even on that first playoff fluke year with uh, – with Adam Gase. He, Matt Moore was the starter for that. Oh God, I didn't even realize that. You're right. You're right about that, Joe. No, I, uh, I, you know, when it comes to the Dolphins and their history, and because when Adam Gase first ended up being there, I just, I thought there was a lot about Adam Gase that I felt was overrated. I ended up being right about that for the most part. Um, but I think that what you're seeing down there, first off, they got lucky that they got rid of Adam Gase. Uh, I do like Brian, Brian Flores. I know that people were upset about 0-2 to start off the season, but they got things right on Thursday. Uh, against, when it comes to Ryan Tannehill, I think that we are going to see more guys like that. But I do think there's a counterpoint to what I'm talking about here, Joe, and even what you I think you're agreeing or, and even disagreeing to some cases where, do you see Ryan Tannehill winning a Super Bowl? Do you see Tennessee think, and Ryan Tannehill win a Super Bowl? I can make an argument that they could because if you again you keep the ball away from a defense or from an offense and and you run right down to it, yes, you can. But I wonder how many fans out there would say yes, absolutely, Ryan Tannehill can win a Super Bowl 
and compete for a Super Bowl, would compete for a Super Bowl with Tennessee. Like there are still, I think, a lot of people out there who wonder if last year was going to be a little bit fluky. You know, how long can you keep a running run style, run run first offense going before you really have to go out there and test yourself against one of the other top quarterbacks in the league, Joe? That's right. a question. That's not a point. That's a question. I don't know yet. I have no right. idea yet. So that I, I think that's something we'll have to pay attention. Oh, by the way, I'm glad that the Pac-12 is back for you. Okay. Oh, yeah, me too. But uh, yeah. go Army for today. Oh, that's true. That's absolutely true. Thank you very much for the call. I watched their week one. They were incredible week one. I didn't get to see. I think they played since, but I, I haven't got to see them yet. Uh, other than that, I saw App State and, and Marshall last week. I saw a couple other games last week. Today's the day where it actually gets going in earnest because we have, we have the SEC back. And then coming up next month, we'll have the Big Ten back, and hopefully things will start to get right about that, which somebody wants to ask me a question about the Mid-American Conference. I think that's going to happen when Hickey joins the show coming up here at noon Eastern. 855-2124-CBS, 855-2124-227. Let me get this in. We just had Sam Monson, pro football focus. Hopefully Pirino's with me. We have the clip of what Sam Monson said about Drew Brees. This is a little bit alarming. Away we go. I think Drew Brees is in trouble. Um, we've seen this guy late in the last couple of seasons, you know, the guy that's um, struggling with his arm strength that doesn't look the same guy that just that looks like he's cooked, that looks like a 41-year-old quarterback. And early in the season, it's been great, and we haven't had to worry about that guy until December or January or whenever, but he's here in weeks one and two in 2020, and that's that's pretty terrifying for the Saints, you know, because – They've at least been able to ride a few good months of, you know, vintage Drew Brees before that guy shows up. But if he's here out of the gate this season, the one year that they've loaded up for the Super Bowl run, you know, all these guys that have come on, the salary cap hell that they're kicking down the line for the future, all for one last go around with Drew Brees. And Drew Brees isn't really here. Some some other guy is there. That's alarming stuff. Watching that game against Las Vegas, there were a lot of things, and I, we got to see it through more than two weeks. That's that's true. Watching the game against Vegas and then the week before against Tampa Bay, I thought Sean McVay took care of Drew Brees against Tampa Bay. Like, there's a lot of things we know. He's over 40 years old. He's been hit. Uh, he he does not have the strongest arm anymore. He loops it. And I thought that the short passing patterns, and hey, Tom Brady gave him the ball back a bunch of times. Let's not act like we didn't see that. I thought with the way that they use that offense, screens, short passes, quick bubbles, those type of things, I thought that those helped with, with New Orleans. Against Las Vegas, you went out to that lead, and I'm, I'm watching it this time at 17-7. That's a game that, that's a game that New Orleans just kind of pulls away from and wins. Las Vegas, historically, that's a game that they lose. And to watch Las Vegas basically run around New Orleans when New Orleans couldn't get an offense going, that's scary. And, and you want to say, well, Michael Thomas, when they got, they would, they're missing Michael Thomas like crazy. Yeah, of course they miss Michael Thomas. But you watch that type of quarterback performance, I don't know how much good Michael Thomas is going to do for you. Like, that was nervous. That was a scary scenario. And for the Saints, you have to make this weird decision. Because right now, I can't condone giving up on Drew Brees. Sam wants to, I can't. Because I do think emotionally to it. The man means a great deal in New Orleans, Louisiana. He means a great deal to that franchise. They've done all this work for him. They didn't do this for Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. They did this for him. This was all meant 
to make him look better, to get the very best out of him because they trust him. Two weeks into the season, I don't think I can abandon that. I can't do that. And I don't know if I trust the, – the Taysom Hill thing is out of nowhere. Last year, well, he could be our future. The guy's 30 years old. He's throwing the ball 16 times. You put Teddy Bridgewater in when Der- when Drew Brees got hurt last year. You didn't put Taysom Hill in. You put you put Teddy Bridgewater in. You went out and you got J- you went out and you got Jameis Winston. Is Jameis Winston going to go in if Drew Brees either gets hurt or replaced? And then how much do you trust Jameis Winston? I can't do that just yet. This whole thing has been set up. I want to still see what they do over the course of time with Sean Payton helping him, with he trying to do his very best to help Sean Payton. And yes, knowing that you have a limited quarterback. You have to deal with that limited quarterback. Because to me, it's the same scenario, almost the same scenario, where, yeah, Ryan Tannehill's certainly more athletic right now in his part of his life where Drew Brees is in his life. But you know in Tennessee, you have a limited quarterback, you have to help out. You know that. In Cleveland, what Sam was talking about with Baker Mayfield last week, you got some limitations there with that quarterback. You need to help him out. You need good coaching. Josh Allen. Josh Allen is a very young kid. You have limitations there because you know he doesn't get all of it yet. You need to help him out. I need to see Sean Payton help this guy out. The other guys, they don't have what's on the line the way that Drew Brees does, the way that New Orleans does. And I think it's the same thing when we were talking about with Tom Brady the week before. If this thing's going to work for either one of these guys, I need Bruce Arians to drop the ego, mix it in with Tom Brady more, I need Sean I need Sean Payton to do everything he can. I think he is and I need Drew Brees to be able to just hold on for one more season if either one of these guys want to go into the go into the sunset. Cuz the way I did see Drew Brees on Monday, he started to look like Peyton Manning after the thighs were hurting and after the shoulders were hurting and he was just holding on for dear life. A couple of those passes, I go, "Oh gosh, that's a shot put." 855-2124-CBS. We'll try to get to you guys. And coming up, our top five, the favorites, the favorite tag teams of all time. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. 855-2124-CBS. This is hard. This is really hard. Top five. Pierno came up with it. Top five tag teams. We got Jeff Perlman coming up at 1140 a.m. Eastern. Pierno and the end. In honor of Joe Laurinaitis, Road Warrior Animal, who passed away earlier this week, top five tag, favorite tag teams of all time. Favorite is different from greatest. Because I th- I bet you could make the argument that, uh, and I, I bet it's the best argument. They drew Who drew more money as a tag team than, than the Road Warriors? I am going to uh, say, and uh, one of my points about them coming up here shortly. Yeah. Um, well, let's just save it for then. All right, let's do it. All right, in, a, in ascending order, as we always do, yes. top five favorite tag teams of all times. So number five for me, I'm going with the Hollywood Blondes. Stunning Steve Austin, wow. flying Brian Pillman, two of my all-time favorites. Just a couple of mid-carters in the early 90s and WCW got paired together and just it was magic. They were together for long, unfortunately, but they won the tag titles early, had a feud with the Four Horsemen. Again, I believe they weren't even together for a full year before they got split up, which is just insane 
but they gelled with each other right away. Just two fun personalities. Also cool to go back and watch Austin at that time because everyone remembers him as Stone Cold in WWE, but he worked a completely different style back then when he was in WCW, so it was really cool. They were a great tag team, very underrated. And then a few years later on a Monday night, Brian Pillman tried to shoot Stone Cold Steve Austin. I don't know if you can find that on the WWE Network. That anymore, is buddy. hysterical. One of the greatest lines ever in professional wrestling is Brian Pillman. When Austin 316 meets Pillman 9mm Glock, I'm going to blow his sorry ass straight to hell. That is hysterical. Going Was that back- live when they did that? Because if you tape that, you'd have to shut that down and go, you know, this is pro wrestling. We cannot introduce guns into this. And right? then Kevin Kelly was doing the interview screaming, call the police, call the police. It's just, it's it's so absurd, it's God. hysterical. Uh, number you four. You can't introduce firearms into professional <laughs> wrestling. Uh, number four, going with the Steiner brothers, uh, just a great mixture of power, speed, uh, uh, agility, the uh, innovative moves by Scott Steiner, uh, such as the Frankensteiner. They were actually brothers in real life, which I like. Uh, and just they just got over with the fans no matter where they went. Yeah. Number three, I needed a team from the Attitude Era, and that is so difficult because you obviously have teams like the Dudley Boys and the Hardys. Uh, but I'm going with Edge and Christian. Uh, they were charismatic and funny. The five-second pose. They got the job done in the ring as well. They pioneered the TLC match along with the Dudleys and the Hardys, but no one will ever forget Edge pulling off the spear from the ladder while Jeff was hanging on to the championship at WrestleMania 17. And then, of course, both those guys, Edge and Christian, went on to have um, uh, great singles uh, careers. Argument. Now, this is something. They... They might have done the best table, ladders, and chair match the first time they ever did a tables, ladders, and chair match. Everything else has been just this this hodgepodge. I'm sorry, and, and some of it some of it's been really well done, but it can't touch what they did in WrestleMania 17. Yeah. So now it's like, man, you did the best ever the first time out. And <laughs> I think ever since then it's just been watered down. I think they've tried to do I think a lot of teams have tried to do too much when it comes to that type of thing. Go Absolutely. ahead. Absolutely. Uh number two, I'm going with the Legion of Doom. Great size. They had the look with the face paint, the spiked shoulder pads. Uh, and uh, what I was going to say to you earlier is, again, I wasn't around, but, I mean, watching and, and being in the story and of wrestling, my passion yeah. for it. I don't, After Hogan in the 80s, I don't know if there was any other wrestler or team that was more over than the Legion of Doom. Like, after Hogan, back, that popularity. You go back and you watch some of that stuff. I didn't know. I told this. I told. I said this the other day after uh, Joe Laronitis passed away. I said that when I was very, very little, the first time I ever saw the Road Warriors slash Legion of Doom, I, I was terrified of them. I, I was re- honestly, I was, I was little. I was scared. Yeah. Like they come out, and they got the big shoulder spikes on, and the whole with the shoulder pads. I was terrified. And then I heard the crowd, and you realize immediately, oh, they're good guys. Yeah. Because yeah, the crowd, yeah, yeah. The, just the, the what's called a road warrior pop for a reason. Just the uh, the physical presence. They just mm-hmm. commanded your attention. Yep. One, of, one of the best finishers in the Beastly. Doomsday device. Which, uh, which, although it's extremely dangerous, the Doomsday device. Uh, yeah. But they brought, they, you know, they brought attention to tag team wrestling. And number one, I got to go. I'm going with the Midnight Express. Uh, their in work, wow. their in ring work is just insane. <laughs> 
fabulous timing. One of the best managers of all time, of course, in the great Jim Cornette. Their rivalry with the Rock and Roll Express, of course, is legendary. They put on some of the most memorable matches ever. So you just better uh, not great, say, great heels, great heels. You, you better inter- not say entertaining. What? You just said good things about Jim Cornette. You're going to have problems. People are going to get, get right in on your Twitter. <laughs> they are going to go after you, buddy boy. So that's oh, my top five. Um, okay. I can't believe this. This is great. All right. Number five. Uh, I, I'm going to throw you off here. I'm going to say the Acolytes. <laughs> I love yeah. Ron Simmons yeah. <laughs> so much. He may be He may be in my top five favorite wrestlers of all time. I love Ron Simmons. And for JBL, JBL is a hell of a character actor when you think about that. Yeah. Black hair, bushy mustache, you know, kind of a throwback to Blackjack Mulligan. And they would come out there and they would whoop people's asses. For six years they did it. For six, I, it, it was just, and it was, I mean, they. Th- I think they were the last ones to just have pure squash matches where they would go out there and they would blow people away. And you could tell, like, JBL's a re- like a pro wrestler. He's not a real You knew Ron Simmons was an old-time ass kicker who could probably go out and kick everyone's ass out there in the crowd. Like, Ron Simmons is nobody to be trifled with. And so I, I always respected him. I loved him. I put him at number five. Number four, uh, this is the exact opposite. Marty Jannetty, Shawn Michaels, the Rockers. Best moment probably ever was when Marty Jannetty tried to escape through the barbershop window, according to Bobby Heenan. Uh, they're number four. Number three, Road Warriors. And again, these are favorites, not greatest ever. Road Warriors. Number two, my number two, I can't believe you put Midnight Express at number one. I, I can't believe they're in your top five. So much respect for you. I put the Midnight Express there. Uh, Dennis Condry, beautiful Bobby Eaton. The punch, like the, just the work that they did. And you mentioned Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette, guy, I, listen, I know I'm speaking to the ether. I'm a fan. I'm a Jim Cornette guy. I know a lot of people are not Jim Cornette fans, and I'm sure there's going to be people ripping us on Twitter here in a second. I don't care. The guy is one of the two greatest managers of all time with he and Bobby the Brain Heaton. Bobby the Brain Heaton will always be number one, but Jim Cornette is number two. I'm sorry. It's it's that simple. The guy's that good. He got that many people over. He was that hated. Just a guy with a tennis racket, and it worked, and it worked for a long time, folks. Say what you will. I'm a, I'm a Jim Cornette guy. And I love the Midnight Express. I'm thankful for the network that you can go back and watch those matches and just see just how great they worked. Number one, I don't know if you're going to like this, buddy. Brain Busters, Four Horsemen, Tully and Arn. Yeah, you can't argue with that. There's just some about Arn Anderson that you just, there's respect. Like Tully, Tully, God, you, you hated Tully. You hated Tully Blanchard. But there was always something where I know he was a bad guy, and I, when I was a kid, I'm just like I still like I still like Arn Anderson. I'm sorry. I, there was just something that was he was a heel in every way possible. But I just liked Arn Anderson. He was just a guy like I I felt like worked with my dad. Like he would work at the same place my dad worked at, and they were great. They were great together. So your five Hollywood Blondes, Steiners. Uh, Edge and Christian, Legion of Doom, Slash, Road Warriors, and Midnight Express. That's five through one, Midnight Express number one. Mine, Acolytes, Rockers, Road Warriors, Midnight Express, Tele and Arn number one. Well done. I'm proud of both these lists. Well done, buddy. Good stuff. Good job, Ken. 
Thank you. 855-212-4CBS. Coming up at midnight, or midnight, coming up at noon Eastern. See, my rods and cones are all thrown off. I know you're going to roll your eyes. <laughs> I know folks are going to roll their eyes. And, guys, I don't blame you, but I think the Lakers are right about what they're talking about with LeBron and free throws. Coming up next, Jeff Perlman, author of Three Rings Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the crazy years of the Lakers dynasty. He joins us in just over an hour from now. The guy who I'm about to introduce made me think of something that I think is going to be controversial. I just want you to hear me out. This is the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. At CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line, it's brought to you by the fine folks at Geico. They're fantastic folks. Right now, they can get you an extra 15% credit on car, motorcycle, and RV policies. That's on top of what Geico could already save you. So what are you waiting for? Visit Geico.com to learn more. I'm going to talk Lakers coming up at noon Eastern. You're going to roll your eyes, but I think they have a point. I'm going to bring that up at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. Right now, joining us on the show, he's a hell of a writer. I mean a hell of a writer. Good author, good guy all around. Find him on Twitter, at Jeff Perlman. It is Jeff Perlman. He's the author of Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the crazy years of the Lakers dynasty. He joins us right now on the hotline. Hello there, Jeff. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's not going too terribly bad at all. What What made you want to write this book? Uh, I mean, when you write books, you're always looking for good characters and um, big figures and people a book can cling to. And usually, usually when you do that, you find one, uh, you know, you focus on an icon, Brett Favre, whoever. And this, and I, when I was looking for a topic, you have Shaq, you have Kobe, you have Phil, they're huge characters, there's great stories, the fascinating span. So it wasn't that hard of a pick, actually. It was a pretty, it's a pretty good pick for, uh, for a book. Now, when you talked to me uh, earlier this week, because some of this stuff i got to rehash with you, because I, I think it's, it's great background, you had a chance to – did you talk to Shaq for this book, correct? Kobe would not speak, right? Yeah, I talked okay. to Shaq, though. But you mm-hmm. talked to Shaq, and the Phil story is very interesting. Tell us about how you got to talk to Phil Jackson. Oh, well, I um, was lucky because Jeannie Buss was very helpful. And uh, I um, I asked her if she knew how to get in touch with Phil, and she said, well, let me email him. And then I, I got in touch with him, and he said, do you want to do it over the phone? And I said, can I come to Montana? flew to Montana and met him at a coffee shop and I thanked him. First thing I did, hey, thanks for meeting with me. He said, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for Jeannie. And I thought, well, this won't last long. And then we spent eight hours together driving around Montana, gave me a tour of a lake and we had lunch and then we went back to his house and then we sat there and sat on rocking chairs and then said, you want to go to dinner later? And I said, okay, we went to dinner later. So we ended up meeting like this eight hours, spend a day with Phil Jackson raffle prize, except it was to me as a journalist. It was one of the great days of my, my journalistic career, it really was. Now, and, and we all know, like, Kobe's not here to to say anything different, whatever, so it's, it, it, I know that that can be a sensitive type of thing for this, for, for this book, Jeff, and I'm sure that, sure. You, and you've talked about it a little bit in your own right, but, you know, we go into what these guys' perceptions were of the late, great Kobe Bryant, because he will reach a point of legacy that right now we talk about him being one of the greatest ever, and yes, because he passed away in such a fashion that it does heighten those senses. And when you hear uh, Phil, well, when Phil yeah, and when Phil passes, he will be a legend in his own right, and he already is a legend. So when I hear Phil talk about him, I, I think it's I think it's so much different from anybody else's perspective because he's handled not just Kobe but also Michael and Scotty and Shaq, obviously. So there's so much there. What did Phil 
say about his relationship with Kobe Bryant that maybe we didn't know? Well, it was a complicated one. I mean, I wrote about I didn't write about the return, so I think it got much better during his sort of return after Shaq left. Um, I also think Kobe didn't realize how much he needed Phil Jackson until he had a year without him after Shaq yeah. left, after Phil left. Um, Kobe was really hard to coach, really hard to coach. And people say, oh, did he, was it like coaching Jordan? It was nothing like coaching Jordan. Like Jordan, when he Jordan, they, they almost had a, had a, they were almost teammates or partners, like business partners. And when Phil took over the job, he explained to Michael Jordan, look, we're going to have this triangle offense. and You're going to score a few, uh, you know, fewer points, but we're going to win, and you're going to be the star of that. And Michael Jordan bought in. With Kobe, it was, we're going to do this offense, and Shaq is going to be the centerpiece, and you're going to be the number two, but we're going to win a lot. And just wasn't how Kobe was programmed. And through the years, there's a lot of resistance to running the triangle for Kobe Bryant, and he did. And when he did, it was great, but he often didn't want to. And by the end, that 0304 season, um, if you watch the finals against Detroit, he was kind of done with it. And there were times during that last season when Phil just wasn't sure whether he, Kobe, they could win with Kobe anymore, whether it was worth coaching him anymore, whether the team would actually be better off without Kobe because he was so independent of, um, you know, of coaching. And it just led to a very strange and awkward relationship at times. Jeff Perlman joining us on the show. Yeah. How much it, when when you talked to Phil and, and you said you know there's that that difference when when Phil came back. How much growing up did Kobe do during that time between when Phil left the first time and then came back? I think he did a decent amount. I think when he really matured um, was when he kind of came face to face with his basketball limitations. You know when he got hurt later in his career, and then when he wasn't, he was just an older player and he didn't have the explosiveness and he didn't shoot for a very high percentage. And he was this guy who genuinely needed help from teammates and. You know, guys like D'Angelo Russell and Nick Young would come along, and suddenly they were better athletes than him, and probably better players in, in many ways. Um, I think when you're an athlete at the end of your career, it's almost a really important transitional period because it reminds you that this isn't going to last forever. It shows you this isn't going to last forever. So I think uh, I think that was really, really important for him, becoming an older player and realizing, all right, I have to move on to my next my next uh, period in life. For him personally talking about Kobe Jeff Perlman joining us on the show author of three ring circus the crazy years of, of Shaq Kobe Shaq Phil and the crazy years of the Lakers dynasty for Kobe Bryant you know Phil comes in he already has gravitas he already has championships mm-hmm. why was trust so hard to come by for Kobe uh, I mean it's a loaded question it was more he was sort of created and developed in an era of kind of me, me, me basketball. And that's not, that's not as bad as it sounds. Mm-hmm. Like Iverson was a product of that. Marbury was a product of that. A lot of guys were products of that, which is you are your own brand. You are sort of, it, it revolves around you. I mean, Kobe was in high school and he got his own sneaker deal from Adidas. He basically dictated that he not be drafted by the New Jersey Nets who were going to take him at number eight in 96. Um, scoring was really important. You know, when Jerry West came along, Elgin Baylor came along, the priority truly was winning. And if you scored a lot of points, that was great. But generally, the priority for guys like that, Oscar Robertson, Kareem even, it was winning. And there was a mindset that came along uh, in the 90s and maybe late 80s where you, you need to be the alpha. And some guys are made to be the alpha. That wasn't even a term that was used in basketball uh, during whatever, Magic and Bird, alpha. And I think Kobe was sort of always thought of himself as quote-unquote an alpha and he needed to be the man and he needed to score a lot of points and he needed to carry his team 
And then you enter this world where you're not, and you're not even close to being it. There's a superstar, and he's unstoppable, and he's the guy. And I just think it's very, it was very hard for players like that, like Iverson, like Marbury, to ever adjust to the idea that they weren't the kings of their own demand. Jeff Perlman with us on the show. I know this is difficult because, you know, we ask you, you, you write this book, these are these many years in these men's lives, and then it's like, okay, in 10 minutes, tell me a little bit about this. But for Shaq, <laughs> I mean, what goes through his head? Because he always seems like he just wants to have fun. He just wants to play, play basketball. But then you have this, this, this Phil relationship with Kobe. Kobe can be a very difficult person to get along with. What was going through Shaq's mind during that whole time? He's such a fascinating character, actually. He just really, he just really wanted to be loved. It's so corny, but it's actually true. Like he just wanted to feel his embrace. You know, like he was the guy who, you know, there. I, I always loved. There was a guy named Mike Tenberth. He played for the Lakers. He was just an obscure guard out of Masters College, and he makes the team, and it's a huge deal. But he doesn't own any suits, and he shows up for the first game wearing a Banana Republic jacket he bought off the off the rack. It's a big no-no in the NBA. And Shaq sees him, and he's like, hey, do you want any suits? He's like, no. He's like, all right, tomorrow, come with me. And he took him to his personal tailor and bought Mike Pemberth these six suits. You know, when, Mike, when Mark Madsen comes along, he's a kid out of Stanford, Mormon, fresh off a mission to Spain. And Shaq does this thing where he starts asking people whether they're Mormon women because he's trying to find a girlfriend for Mark Madsen. Like, he's genuinely trying to, not making fun of him, seeking out a, Mormon, a nice Mormon girl as he would say, for Mark Madsen. He just had this, this kindness about him and this warmth, but he wanted you to enjoy it. And the thing that was confusing about Kobe to Shaq is Kobe didn't need it. Like, he didn't need it. He didn't want it. He didn't need it. That's not even a criticism. It just wasn't how he was made. But it really sort of hurt Shaq, and, and he wanted this Batman-Robin, big brother-little brother relationship. And Kobe had zero interest in it. He just wanted to play basketball and be great and work his butt off. And it was just a... It's not that they always hated each other. People during, throughout the promoting of this, why did they hate each other? It's not that they always hated each other. They just were so different that if anyone wanted a buddy-buddy movie, they weren't going to get it with those two. It just wasn't, it wasn't real. There's some good stuff in this, and I'm not going to give it away about how, how close it was to Kobe leaving instead of Shaq. It may be Kobe going to the other team in L.A. I don't want to give that away because, you know, you got a book that you wrote, and I, and I want you to do well with it, Jeff. I mean that sincerely, so I don't want to talk about that. But I want to ask, if this thing would have stayed together, would this have eclipsed? Could this have a chance to have eclipsed what Michael did with the Bulls, or is it just a different era and there was maybe no chance of this thing staying together? All right, so this is what I always say. I wrote a book about the uh, – my first book ever was about the 86 New York Mets, which is a team I loved growing up. And they only won one World Series. And people used to ask me when I was promoting that book, should they have won more World Series? And I always say, no – because Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry were cocaine addicts. And if you're a cocaine addict, you're a cocaine addict. So they weren't not cocaine addicts, so it would be impossible because the two stars were snorting cocaine. Yeah. And I would say, like, with this team, they were just so tired of each other and so beaten up on the whole thing. And Kobe did have one foot out the door to go to the Clippers. He almost went to the Clippers. And Shaq, he was just fed up of playing with Kobe, and he was kind of tired of Phil, and he was pissed off that the Lakers weren't extending his contract. And it was just... At the end of it, when they lost to Detroit, Kobe shows up at a team function and says to Kareem Russ's backup, I'm never playing with that mf again, referring to Shaq. So people will be like, oh, should they have won five, six titles? I actually think it's kind of amazing they made that last championship considering the acrimony. I think it's pretty freaking impressive that they won three. Wow. 
I see that these are things I don't know. I didn't, like I I know this I know the wrapping afterwards and all the other things. Yep. We all know that, but these are the things we didn't know. God, I want to ask you so badly about the about the other team in LA thing, but I uh, you can. No. I'm happy to talk about it. I got no problem. Yeah, but it's in the book. It's in the book, Jeff. And I don't. There's a lot in the book. It's okay. All right, fine. What the hell? How close was he to coming? How close was Kobe to becoming an LA Clipper? Super, super close. So that um, that last season, oh three, oh four, it's one of the crazy seasons in the history of the NBA for one season. Um, they bring in Gary Payton and Carl Malone to form this super team. But nobody really wants Peyton. That was a Jim Bus thing. It was a terrible fit as a point triangle point guard. Shaq is demanding a contract extension that Jerry Bus has no interest in giving him. Kobe is flying in and out of Eagle, Colorado because of the sexual assault trial. And he's on the threshold of going to prison for a long, long time. Both the DA and the lead detective told me they were convinced he was guilty. Um, everything is going badly. Kobe's mad at the Lakers. He doesn't want to play for Phil anymore. He doesn't think they're sending a nice enough plane to fly him to Eagle, Colorado. It's all sorts of crazy egos left and right. And one time during the season, he says to Mike Dunleavy, the the Clippers coach, during a game, get me out of here. And Jerry Buss really had a decision to make. Are we standing behind Shaq and Phil Jackson? Are we keeping going to fight to keep a a fading center and a coach who's kind of doesn't seem as sharp as he once was about it all? We got to put all our money in our in his prime, but possibly going to prison. Uh, you know, shooting guard who is really considering going to the Clippers and playing in the same building we play in, but wearing a different uniform. And at the end of the day, Jerry Buss just went all in on bringing Kobe Bryant back. But Kobe Bryant was—if Shaq comes back, Kobe's gone. If Phil comes back, Kobe's gone. And he might have been gone anyway, but they did enough to keep him. The book is available everywhere. Amazon, everywhere. Get the book. I can't wait to read it. Jeff, thank you so much for the time, buddy. Follow this man on Twitter, at Jeff Perlman. Jeff, thank you, buddy. Take care. All right, thank you. Jeff Perlman, the author of Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the crazy years of the Lakers dynasty. That's some good stuff in there. 855-2124-CBS. Up next, speaking of the Lakers, listen, you're going to roll your eyes, and I ain't going to blame you when you do, but the Lakers are right about LeBron and free throws. I'll tell you why. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.